Uh, good afternoon. It's um, the 6th of October, 2023. Uh, greetings from uh, Hilltop in Idaho. And uh, hope that God has been gracious in your life. And if you're close to him, you know that he ever is. But we're going to, to close out our study in, in Galatians 6. And we'll cover 11 through 18. This is going to talk about the flesh and the cross. Uh, and this is a kind of a versus thing, the flesh versus the cross, because that's what, if you're familiar with the titles of these messages, uh, they have been, Paul's been presenting both sides, okay? And he shows the advantage of one side and the disadvantage of another side. But uh, we'll get started on the introduction, then we'll get into the text. Ever is the battle between the flesh and the spirit, between what is seen and what is believed, between fear and faith, between character and circumstance. Paul will touch on a few of these things in his closing words to the Galatians. Many are the principles taught by Paul in this epistle, as well as the references made in those lessons to other epistles of Paul, which confirmed what he teaches in this one. And that's why I would go back and forth between those epistles. To be clear, the gospel of Jesus Christ can get no traction apart from the ability to hear it. And the ability to hear it comes from God to those who God has chosen to receive such ability. Thus is God made manifest unto those who sought not after him. And you can see that in Romans 10, verse 20. He's, he's talking to the Romans. He's quoting Isaiah. He says, but Isaiah is very bold and says, I was found of them that sought me not. I was made manifest unto them that asked not after me. So it sounds contradictory, but it's really not once you understand it. It was found of them that sought me not. We're talking about the ability to hear, okay? If you go back to the Gospel of Matthew, you'll see the question that the, the disciples asked Jesus, why do you speak to them in parables? And he tells them, because it is given unto you to, to know, to hear, and it is not given unto them. Therefore, I speak I unto them in, in parables. Now he presented the truth, but he presented the truth in a veiled way. Okay. That's 
the way it is. That's the way it was. That's the way it was planned. That's the way it works out. And that's the way it always will be. There is no merit in man that begs God's favor. Get that out of your mind. That doesn't happen. So go to Galatians 6.11. You see how large a letter I have written unto you with mine own hand. So Paul typically would, would use scribes to write his words in his letters to the churches. But here... His concern is deep enough that he wants no mistakes made in the truth that he wants to convey to the Galatians. So he himself sat down and penned this epistle. Galatians 6.12, as many as desire to make a a fair show in the flesh, they constrain you to be circumcised only lest they should suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. Now, those among the Galatians who advocated for the law and for circumcision and who sought to justify their position by compelling others to be circumcised embody the principle of the manipulation of others for a couple of reasons. And let me tell you, If you don't see it, if you're not, you got to be paying attention in today's world. But the the attempted manipulation of others is rampant, and it it is ballooning to the effect that it it is being uh, that manipulation is being embraced unknowingly by a bunch of people who don't have the ability or the desire to think for themselves. Now, the couple of reasons why they wanted to manipulate others. A couple of reasons Paul tells us in Galatians 6.12. One of the reasons was to use others for self-glorification. And the other reason was to escape the persecution that was then present, which was essentially against the gospel and the truths of the gospel. Now, th- this this manipulation, uh, I have seen this. Uh, this persuading others, not for the glory of God, but for the advancement of self. Such things are very evident today. The command from the gospel is to preach the word at all times and in all places and under every circumstance to rebuke and reprove and exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. Let me ask you a question. How popular do you think such preaching is? This preaching of rebuke, of reproof, of exhortation. Let me ask another question. What did Jesus gain to, uh, what did he stand to gain in preaching the gospel? Did he know it was going to be antagonistic? Yeah. What did it gain him? Well, if you look at this, okay, stand back. How would the world view a preacher who was crucified for his words 
and had only one of his disciples present at his death. How would the world view that kind of a preacher? Okay. Here's here's the truth. There is no room for self-glory in the preaching of the gospel. There is only room for men of faith to point to the glory of God and his son, Jesus Christ. That's all. Galatians 6, 13. For neither they themselves who are circumcised keep the law, but desire to have you circumcised, that they may glory in your flesh. So the first reason mentioned in the previous verse, to use others for self-glory, keep that in mind. Paul shows that those who were under the law had no ability to keep it, or even to hear it, as he had said. Meaning, they themselves could not keep the law for which they advocated others keep. Let me read that to you again. They themselves could not keep the law for which they advocated others keep. That's called hypocrisy. Now, when the Pharisees, go back to the gospel, uh, when the Pharisees brought the woman caught in adultery to Jesus, and they asked him what he thought ought to be done to her, he directly pointed out their hypocrisy by saying, let him that is without sin cast the first stone. And when he said that, what did he do? He exposed the law as a system that had no solution for sin, for it was a system that only provided for an appeasement for sin, but not a removal of sin. Now, if you want further proof on that, I will not read these two chapters to you, but feel free to refer to Hebrews 9 and 10 for the comparison between the the covenants and the purpose of the sacrifice of Christ and how it related to the Old Testament. That will be a profitable read for you, Hebrews 9 and 10. Galatians 6, 14, going back to the text. Paul says, God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. Paul here does not speak of an appeasement, but of death. Paul speaks of himself as he says, God forbid that I should glory in anything but the cross of Jesus Christ. Then he says, what effect such glorying accomplishes. And he speaks not of the cross here, but of the one who hung upon the cross. 
in that he says, by whom? By whom? He does not say by what? He speaks not of an object, but of Christ himself. So by whom? There's a person, and that's Jesus Christ. By Christ, the world is crucified unto me, and I am crucified unto the world. And if you want, if you want to think of it this way, the same applies for every genuinely regenerated person that's on the face of the earth. Same thing. So, Jesus Christ is the essence of what crucified the world under Paul. Jesus Christ. The person. Jesus Christ. And it's what what crucified Paul under the world. It worked both ways. The world was dead to Paul, and Paul was dead to the world. See, so you, you go back... Acts 9, just one day upon the road to Damascus and the meeting the meeting of Saul of Tarsus with Jesus on that road forever changed the view of Saul of Tarsus, Paul, forever changed his view of the world and forever changed his view of himself in it. And that's how it works. You know, in the record, in that, again, in Acts 9, so immediate was this, this <laughs> what I'm talking about, dying to the world and, and the world dying to you, This so immediate was this. In Acts 9, the same chapter that, that tells us about his, his uh, event on the road to Damascus, we see Saul meeting Jesus, and then in Acts 9, 20, and 23, we see that the Jews want to kill Saul of Tarsus in Damascus. And then in Acts 9, 29, we see that the Grecians want to kill him in Jerusalem. And, and we looked at that already. So immediate was this, was that you don't even get out of the chapter and we have two groups of people who want to kill Paul or Saul of Tarsus. So how true Paul's statement concerning him being crucified to the world and the world being crucified unto him. Okay, here's, here, here's a brief statement about the, the, whole, the whole reasoning behind the epistle in the first place in verse 15. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creature. So whether you're circumcised or not circumcised, it doesn't avail anything. What does avail something is a new creature. So we, th we think, okay, is this place or position or person uh, being placed as a new creature? And it could be all three, a place and a position or a person, okay? Uh, and all of those things that are being mentioned are wrapped up in Jesus Christ. The locality is in him. The place, the position is in him, coupled 
with what does avail anything, which is the new creature. The new creature only avails anything. <clears throat> so circumcision of the law in the old covenant, and that, that sign was, was circumcision of every male child on the eighth day, And then there's the uncircumcision, which refers to everybody else, all others who had not received circumcision under the old covenant. And he says, neither one of those made any difference. It makes no difference if one is circumcised or is not circumcised. Neither position availed anything. That's what he's saying. Neither position availed anything. Only a new creature does. And you'll go, again, we'll go back to another epistle that Paul wrote, 2 Corinthians 5.17. See what he says. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. If you think, look at this, old things are passed away. Uh, it's the same idea as a person passing away. Old things are passed away. The old things are no more. They have passed away. All things becoming new are associated with the idea of being a new creature or a new creation. Now, remember in chapter 5, we saw the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. The flesh relates to the old things, which are passed away. The spirit relates to the new things associated with being a new creature in Christ. So this new creature is the same as being born again, as Jesus said to Nicodemus. One born again or from above is a new creation in Christ. Okay, you're... you're physical flesh is biological of your parents your spiritual your spiritual existence is being born again as a new creation in Christ now we look at Galatians 6:16 and as many as walk according to this rule peace be on them and mercy and upon the Israel of God so this rule is the rule, those in Christ being new creatures, that rule, okay? Not circumcision or uncircumcision, not that rule, but being born again. The benefit is peace and mercy on them. And what's interesting is a lot of times when I'm putting these together, I'll do the Look at the Greek words. The Greek word for on them is the, the Greek prefix epi, E-P-I. We actually, it's transliterated right over in the English. We use it in describing the difference between the dermis and the epidermis. The epidermis is that outer layer of skin that covers the whole body. It's the same idea. The epi then Peace beyond them. That epi 
is all over us. That peace is all over us, and that mercy is all over us, both peace and mercy. Then he talks about the Israel of God. Okay. Paul talked about this extensively in Romans because he was pointing to to Abraham and those who are of the faith of Abraham, speaking about a lineage of faith and not a lineage of uh, genetics, if you will. In in Romans four one, Paul writes, "What shall we say then that Abraham, our father, as pertaining to the flesh, has found?" He said, "Well, let's talk about that." Verse two: For if if Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof to glory, but not before God. Okay. You can glory before men, but you can't glory before God if you're justified by works. And let me tell you, sometimes people come come and they have this attitude, well, God owes me. God doesn't owe you anything. You got the, the whole situation is quite reversed. In him we live and move and have our being. That is, we who are regenerate. So verse 3 of Romans 4, what says the, what says the Scripture Abraham believed God, and it was his belief that was counted unto him for righteousness, not what he did. It was what he believed. Verse 4 of Romans 4, Now to him that, that worketh is a reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. So to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned but of grace, but of debt. Yeah, that's a debt you can't pay by the way. You can work all your life. You can't pay that debt. Four or five, but to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. So you see verse four, work, debt. Verse five, belief, faith, righteousness. Okay. It's laid out for you right there in in Romans four. Verse 8, blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. Blessed is that man. Imputation, imputed sin. Then there's imputed righteousness, and there's justification, and that's liberty in Christ. If, If the Son shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. Justification is being cleared from the guilt of your sin. A lot of people struggle with that. It's what it is. Uh... A lot of people have failed to make the distinction between being held guiltless, but yet uh, in the flesh still commit sin. A lot of people struggle with that. Uh, Romans, last part of Romans 7 would might help you out, and the first part of Romans 8, uh, I would recommend you read those as well. Anyway, Romans 4, 9. Cometh this blessedness then upon the circumcision only or upon the uncircumcision also? And this is a, a, a question that Paul was proposing to the, the Romans. For we say that faith was reckoned to Abraham for righteousness. So faith was reckoned to Abraham, <clears throat> not words, but faith. Faith was reckoned to Abraham for righteousness. Verse 10, how was it then reckoned? 
Okay, so he's going to pose this question. How was it reckoned? When he was in circumcision or in uncircumcision? Well, let's see. Uh, Abraham, believing God, he was uh, not in circumcision, but in uncircumcision. He believed before he ever got circumcised. That's That goes, but just go back there and read the account. Uh, Romans 4.11. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith, which he had yet been uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all them that believe. Catch that. That he might be the father of all them that believe, though they be not circumcised, that righteousness might be imputed unto them also. Now, this word imputed, it, 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 that means it has to come from another and it's imputed to your account, meaning that you have no ability to gain it on your own. That's why it has to be imputed. Romans 4.12 and he is also the father of circumcision to them who are not of the circumcision only. But who also walk in the steps of that faith of our father Abraham, which he had being yet uncircumcised. So the faith was there in place before circumcision ever came into the picture. Because it's not of works, it is of grace. Abraham's relationship with God was based upon faith. Without faith, you can't please God. God gave to Abraham a covenant, and some may refer to it as two covenants. But God's conversation with Abraham referred to the great nation God would make of him and also to the fact that all the families of the earth would be blessed because of Abraham's faith, not because of genealogy. And then we, we go back to Galatians 3, which is something we already looked at, Galatians 3, 7, and 8. Know ye therefore that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, preached the gospel, preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In thee shall all nations be blessed, so then they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. So Paul says, the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, preached the gospel unto Abraham. That's the first time that is allusion is made that what God spoke to Abraham was the gospel is the truth, saying, in thee shall all nations be blessed. So, two parts. One was of uh, genealogy. The other was of faith. Galatians six seventeen. Paul says, from this point on, let no man trouble me, for I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. And what that translated means is, 
Let not even one person hinder me or cause me pain. For I endure in my body. The King James says the marks, the Greek word is stigma. I bear in my body the stigma of the Lord Jesus. It's an identifying thing. It's a mark put upon us as believers. But it's not, uh, it's, that mark isn't put upon us according to what we did, but according to uh, who we are in. Uh, and I'm referencing Ephesians 1, 1 through 11. If you want to get some enlightenment, I would encourage you to study that. I don't think Paul was saying in this in this verse that there was no one that was going to trouble him anymore. But I think it is perhaps whatever opposition and persecution he may receive may be considered then as insignificant. Paul says, and he tells us in Romans 5, to glory and tribulations also, knowing that even they have a work in the life of the believer, the end of which is hope. And that hope did not make us ashamed because of the love of God in our hearts. Hope. Faith is a substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. So we have that hope. It's a residual, eternal hope that abides in every genuine believer. That it assures us that the, the purpose of God shall be accomplished upon the earth. Now, it's, it's obvious to any casual observer that's paying the least amount of attention that any who speak the truth will always have those who oppose them. Paul said it himself in Galatians 4.16, What then am I become your enemy because I tell you the truth? Speak the truth in love. Send it forth in love doesn't mean it's going to be received in love. Doesn't mean that at all. It's like the gospel and the truths of it basically strip people naked as far as exposing who they genuinely are. And they don't like that. They you know, they don't like the truth because the 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 truth strips them of all their dressing, all of their perfumes, all of their makeup, all of their things that they entertain to make themselves more attractive to other people. God knows who you are. And you stand before his sight every day, 24-7. And there's another thing. Those who profit by lies and deception will seek to still the voice of truth. That's a given. So, Last verse in Galatians, brethren, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Okay, that's a rather succinct comment at the very end. It's not, there's no flowery stuff here. 
Because Paul's dead serious about this. And this is obviously to the Galatians that's written from Rome. So uh, where he says, may God's grace accompany your spirit, conveys also the concept of the comforter, the Holy Spirit. Uh, the, the word is paraclete, para, uh, the prefix is like something that you will want alongside of you, like a parachute or a paramedic. This is uh, one who's called alongside to help, to strengthen genuine believers. Now, I want to close with this scripture out of First John. chapter 4. As an exhortation, you know, it's, it's a, we have experienced some reproof and rebuke, and uh, now we get to the exhortation. Uh, verse 1, 1 John 4, 1. Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesses not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist whereof you have heard that it should come, and even now already is it in the world. You are of God, little children, even you little children, you babes in Christ, you are of God, that is your point of origin, and have overcome them, not in your strength because you're little children, because greater is he that is in you, greater is the spirit that is in you than he, the flesh, that is in the world. And you've over, you've been, you, over, you overcome them, those spirits, even as little children, because he that is in you is greater than he that is in the world. They are of the world, therefore speak they of the world, and the world hears them. Wide is the way that leads to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. Narrow is the way that leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. So the world hears them. And then First John 4, 6, We are of God. And that's what he just said to the little children. You are of God. Now, he, he, this is a cumulative effect. We are of God. He that knows God hears us. He that is not of God does not hear us. Hereby we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. So we, we go to this, uh, the ability to hear the ability to hear. Thank, if you have that, thank God to it, for it, excuse me. Let me re re refresh this part of the introduction. 
to close this out. To be clear, the gospel of Jesus Christ can get no traction apart from the ability to hear it. The ability to hear it comes from God to those who God has chosen to receive such ability. Thus is God made manifest unto those who sought not after him. Well, the prayer is always that as the word goes out, it might be to the glory of God and to the edification of his children. And may it be so, even in this case, I pray that God may bless your life and your heart as you hear the word, and then he may open your understanding into it. Thank you today for listening.